Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on May the 29th of 2019. I'm Nick. This is Chris. And it's... I don't know what time is it. It's 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 time to get stoned. Already? Okay, we're gonna skip Let's about go. half the series. Let's fuck everything else. Let's get stoned. Doctor Stone. No, I don't know. Was 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 there a specific time that I was supposed to call in response to? Oh, Where it's I don't like think what so. what time is it? And I'm like, I don't know, Nick, but it sure is time to Pokemon go to sleep, if you know what I'm saying, right? Isn't that topical news? Something about that's, Kojima and Bridges. I guess that's the big thing that happened. Yes, I wasn't paying uh, attention to any of that, though. Nick, so. There are two big things. There's that, and now there are Pokemon button-down shirts you could buy that are $100 a piece. Is that real? Yes. There's like a Pokemon shirts collection, and they're all $100 a piece. But no. <laughs> but, but you could have Ivysaur on your shirts. All right. Let me do this way. Like, that had better be something where, like, you wear it and then, like, people around the, uh, like, up and down the street, when they spot you, they, like, decide to make you the president or something. Like, that's absurd. <laughs> it's like, oh, each shirt is uh, secretly ingrained with a, a special pheromone that makes supermodels desperately attracted to you, and they'll, like, they'll crawl over to sing your praises from the mountaintops. They're like, I mean, that's, I guess, worth a $100. I, and shipping, too? And shipping? I don't know if I could do this. This is getting a little out of my price range. It's like, I could get, like, 20 shirts like that. It's like, well, yeah, but they fall apart if you wear them once. Yeah, but that's more than, that. you know, that 20 shirts is more than I'll ever wear that shirt. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's talk about manga, Chris. I'm a little Let's bit. Let's talk about us, Nick. Let's talk about us? Yeah, and I put my hand on your thigh. All <laughs> Let's right. Let's talk uh, about us. Well, I'm very happy with how our friendship is going. Cool. Um, let's not ruin it by getting physically involved, because that would oh. make things not insane. anymore, huh? Okay. No, not anymore. You doing elbow drops onto me at that first MacFest was was more than enough interaction, I think, man. Actually, now that you say it, I guess I'm kind of like a professional wrestler. I've hit people with elbow drops. Chris, don't die. <laughs> Nick, I'm going to go onto my roof and <laughs> five-star frog splash this frog in it's my It's time. AEW is, 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 is taking it to WWE, and now it's time for a new talent to emerge in the pro wrestling Luch scene. Luchasaurus is going to need a tag team partner. He already has yes. one. <laughs> now I want to be a two. I could be John Moxley, couldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Like you, you leave and show up on AEW, and they just talk about how I've been keeping you down for <laughs> for years. <laughs> I show up to AEW, but all I do are bad Dean Ambrose promos. <laughs> I show. Oh, up so Dean page. Ambrose promos. That's right. I show up. <laughs> Sorry, <in> a... <laughs> shots fired. I don't think that he's as good at talking as everyone says he is. <laughs> I just show up in a Bane trench coat, and I'm just like they poisoned this. It's like his character didn't make sense in WWE. It certainly doesn't make sense here without any of the context. Admittedly, though, that was a cool jacket he wore during that terrible run of his. Yeah, uh, it's 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 an abysmal feud. Uh, as he said, some very depressing things uh, after he showed up on that show. Basically, about how 
angry he was to be working for WWE for years. Anywho, I, I heard there's a Jericho podcast out right now. Of course, there's a Jericho it. podcast. <laughs> I, 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 might as well, I might be, might as well just be like, you know, do you remember back in the day when it was like, there's an app for that? It's like nowadays, it's like you can just, just think of anything wrestling related. It's like, yeah, Jericho's interviewed on the podcast. Sure. Why not? He'll talk to anyone. He's oh, talked yeah. to Flat Earthers on his podcast because he's desperate for any sort of views. He's like, Listens. hey, in a way, I'm kind of like Joe Rogan, but of <laughs> wrestling and rock music. I'm such a great rock star. Everyone knows me for my rock music. <laughs> you know, we shit on it. I just recently kind of started to get into Fozzy, though. I do know that. I mean, his New Japan uh, theme, well, also his AEW theme, Judas, is actually a really good entrance theme. Yeah. So, anyway, Chris, professional wrestling is just like superhero manga. So let's talk about My Hero Academia. Exactly. We're yeah, talking about interesting characters, Nick. And who more interesting than Bubagawa? Bubagawarajin. Oh, so close. I'm so close. <laughs> We were actually pretty close. Like, that was one of those cases where it's like, oh, okay. Whenever Chris forgets the name, it's like, no, it's, it's okay. He does actually read. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's reading the letters. He's not, he's not actually just making up all of his thoughts on the manga on the fly as we talk about them. <laughs> I've actually experienced it. Eyes have scanned over a page. Last time on My Hero Academia, as we get into chapter... Oh, wow. I managed to actually start the podcast without actually opening my notes. Hang on oh, a second. Nick, how so unprofessional. It's the most unprofessional thing we've ever done for this show. It's chapter number 229. All it takes is one bad day, which that gives, gives me very Joker flashbacks because that was a big thing of his in a uh, killing joke. You know, anyone can turn on like me. That just takes one bad day. Was I it, think when, that might be a reference. When did Killing Joke come out? Peace. What's up? Peace. No, when did it come out? The eighties. Oh, the okay. Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't hear you there. Sorry, sorry. Um, I, 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 when, I, honestly, I know that is probably where the quotes from. But in my mm-hmm. mind, I always hear it and think of the Batman scene where he's with Harley Quinn and he buys her like a dress. And she's like in the hospital and she's just like, why are you doing this to me? And he's like, I had a bad day too once. That's such a sweet scene. It's it's very good. It's very good. I love that episode because it's like, oh, Harley, Harley has, has hope. Mm-hmm. So, and then she's just like, oh, actually he's really hot and just starts making out <laughs> in front of her girlfriend. No less. How could she? <sighs> Harley. Anywho. So. Last time on My Hero Academia, uh, Twice had found Toga after her she had suffered all those injuries dealing with uh, the reporter lady and her minions. But uh, one of the higher ranking guys uh, summoned a bunch of puppets that look exactly like Jin and sent them after them. And uh, so several of them disabled Twice while the rest grab onto Toga with uh, the goal being that they're going to kill her so that uh, so as to continue on uh, with the whole narrative that uh, was thought was explained last time. It's like, oh, she suffers from tragedy. She couldn't fit in in this world. Well, she needs to actually die in order to do that. So it actually it's it's actually really gruesome for uh, because 
uh, one of them grabs her and the other grabs her head and just starts twisting. And it's like, oh, they're just going to break her neck. Okay. Ew. <laughs> yeah, like slowly, too. They're really like slowly wrenching it. Yeah, it's not like a, a fast one. It's like, no, we're going to make sure that we do this properly and rip out every single part of her spinal cord. It's quite gross. Uh, even though, like, there's no gore or anything, it's just, it's, stop twisting your head. Uh, Twice is witnessing all of this, and it's really freaking him out. Not beca- not just because they're killing Toga, but because the pe- things that are killing her look like him. Uh, so it's it's to the point where, like, the panels surrounding him are getting wavery uh, as his mental state deteriorates. And we get a flashback because... It seems like we're going to get a couple of these uh, as we go through the villains uh, in the league. And uh, we find out that uh, twice uh, in his youth was uh, basically all alone, um, which makes perfect sense for his whole uh, thing. Um, When he was 16, he accidentally hit uh, a kid uh, who happened to also be like the son of a client of the company that he worked for. So he got in trouble for that. He ended up getting something put on his record because even though it was a complete accident and he wasn't actually violating any traffic laws, he hit a kid. And so uh, that got put in his record. And uh, so he just kind of went into a downward spiral from there. And he started uh, consoling himself by summoning a copy of himself to have someone to talk to because he was completely all on his own and he felt like he had just been born without luck and uh, eventually this grew into him making multiple copies of himself and hanging out in gangs and going and robbing places until of course he made the huge error and all of his clones started killing each other and left him with a big nasty scar on his head and now of course he doesn't really know if he's the real Jin or if he's just a copy that survived the scuffle um and then we see that after this point, he had taken to wearing a bag over his head, kind of a precursor to the mask he wears to make himself feel whole. And uh, Jiren uh, ended up finding him and setting him up with the League of Villains. Uh, as had, he had previously stated, Jiren was the one who brought him into the League and gave him this place to, to belong. Um, and... The one thing that Jiren says during this conversation that he, what he needs to do is find someone who will trust him. He needs to find friends and allies. And he says, don't worry, there are plenty of others like you more than you think. And we cut back to the present. Twice manages to break free from the puppets that are holding him down. Uh, and so... <laughs> Puppet Master guy is like, all right, there's enough of that. Um, grab him, beat him up, and uh, you know what? All right, grab his arm, break his arm, break his arms. And uh, they do. Um, snap. <laughs> Just, <laughs> well, and then he says, okay, and break his legs too. But um, this was a miscalculation on his part because twice has suffered injury for the first time since the whole cloning incident, and now he realizes that without a doubt, he is the original Jin. He is not a double because he has suffered significant damage and he hasn't dissipated. So uh, he breaks loose and he says, uh, 
I'm not going to watch a friend die. And now you're going to learn how terrifying my quirk really is as he summons like a dozen clones all once in this really badass uh, two page spread to end the chapter. So I think that in the present this is the first time we've seen twice clone himself and clone more than just one copy of something at once. Uh, I could be wrong about uh, either one of those details, but I think that this is easily the biggest demonstration of his power that we've seen thus far. Uh, Duran had also noted uh, to twice in the conversation in his flashback that, you know, you could potentially take over the entire country with this kind of a quirk. Uh, You aren't really tapping into your full potential. And uh, it looks like we're going to get a little bit of a taste of that because, um, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people to deal with now. All of a sudden, yeah, there's there's a lot there. It's it's a super great chapter. I mean, we we got kind of exactly what we wanted out of twice. We got some really great character development for him. There's a lot of like quiet horror to this chapter between you know Toga almost getting her neck slowly like twisted off, and uh, it, it's kind of not abruptly brought into total existential terror, but it is significant that, like, in the moment where they're like, hey, break his arms, twice isn't sure if he's a clone or not. So he's like, if they break my arms and I'm a clone, I disappear forever. Like, it's it's essentially, you know, a worse than death scenario. So just cease to yeah. exist in his mind. So there is something where when you see him kind of, like, laughing because of yeah. how happy he is that he's alive, how much he's in pain, it's... It is kind of like a Joker scenario, I guess, where you're just like, it's this weirdly twisted scene of this guy laughing, but how empowering it is for that person. So I definitely see why they went with the the all it takes is one bad day long for it. But it's such a cool ending, just seeing all the twice clones popping out. and it's, it's, Yeah, it's and all these different poses, yeah. Some of them might even be making their own clones, too. I mean, they all have his, his quirk, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do from here. Uh, yeah, really like this chapter. Uh, looking forward to seeing him, um, I don't know, summoning an army and kicking ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's 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 great that we went from, like, last chapter, which started off with uh, Dobby about to fight some ice dude, and just being like, I, I cannot fathom caring less about this fight right now. And it's like, oh, wow, we went to something so much more interesting. I'm like, I'm waiting for him to get back and Dobby to be like, I haven't really been about my trauma, but don't worry, guys. I got a flashback, too, that'll just blow your tits off. I really do think that that's kind of something that's being kept in the back pocket for now. So. All right. Some good stuff. Let's move on to uh, Food Wars. Shokugeki no Soma. (laughs) Uh, A flavor to call your own. So. uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about this. So we get the uh, conclusion uh, to, uh, hey, how did Mana feel about uh, Soma's dish? Well, um, she, the way she describes it is she's being dragged deeper into the storm swirling about Soma, but it's not the storm of the culinary wasteland. It's one summoned at his command, a black magic spell. And we see this visual of, you know, Soma as like the demonic mage lord from the previous chapter, like nefariously casting a spell on Mana to make her clothes fall off. 
at least it continues that whole gimmick of the, you know, demon lord thing. Uh, and then they say, this isn't the normal gifting. This is combining the bursting with the gifting. So now everyone's clothes aren't just flying off. They're being shredded. Now, could everyone in participation at the blue put together a class action lawsuit against the blue? <laughs> because they all had their clothes torn away. There might be some emotional distress by this. I mean, before you're like, hey, the gifting, it's, it's apparently a very known phenomenon. They were but prepared hey, for it. They yeah, had the robes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're good with that. But they're like, hey, that was a nice fucking sweater. I'm fine yeah. with going over and picking it back up and putting it back on, but it's just fucking gone forever now. I'm going to sue the tits off of you, Mata Dakiri or whatever your name is. Yeah. Uh, so... Alice is like, oh, this means that uh, she found Yugira's dish way more delicious than Asahi's. And Asahi's like, well, that shouldn't be possible, though. A single chef shouldn't be able to stand up to the power of my cross knives. Well, apparently he did. So yeah, whatever. That's exactly what happened, my dude. Uh, so Mana apparently hears this and gets over. Says. None will deny that you're basty pie thing was a masterpiece of delicately woven flavors. The unique skills and styles of the many different chefs are layered together exquisitely well. But if you peel back all those layers hiding underneath is nothing. There isn't the slightest hint of any flavor you could call your own somewhere in the corner of your heart. You already knew that though, you know, there was no true you that you could put on your plate. To hide from that truth, you stole the knives of others. But someone you can hear, he could. He built a flavor all his own. I think that's kind of bullshit for uh, her character to be saying that, you know? Like, just because, like, well, you don't have any of yourself in this dish. It's like, I thought that wasn't important to you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. So someone wins. Yeah, uh, it's rather <laughs> a unanimous victory as well. Like yeah. you unanimously just punted a dude's dick off. Yeah. And uh, everyone's like, oh, my God, someone made it to the finals of the blue, which. Yeah, good point. Aaron is going to face him in the finals now. OK. <laughs> uh, so Asahi tries to surrender Joeytro's knife to Soma. Uh, he says, this is the knife he used after he married your mom and started working at Yukihira. Or at least that's what he told me. I took it from him when I beat him using Saiba's knife. Uh, I guess that means that this is now Yukihira's knife. I couldn't reach the pinnacle of the blue, which means I'm not the greatest. This isn't a knife I'm fit to hold, so I don't want. And so it's just like, nah, I don't care. Look, you challenged my dad and you won, so yeah, you keep it. Anyway, hey. Why'd you want to marry Nakiri? <laughs> it's like, you know, someone makes a good point. It's like, why did you want to What the fuck was up with that? Now, now that your character's done in this story, could you explain your motivations for everything? Well, you see, what you really need to do is feel bad for me. <laughs> and look, I can honestly, I could see some value in this. Because if you, if you play this card before this point, then suddenly you don't, want to hate Asahi the way that the story kind of needs you to. Right. And it doesn't... I mean, didn't, is, didn't really hate him anyway. I didn't care about no, him. But, but go, go on, go on. There's yes. love ultimate failures, but you, you you do want a place 
at least a portion of this towards the end. Because let's be honest, the the mm. revelation that Soma's father, you know, started really finding his passion in cooking after he met someone is not a secret to this story. We know that's the, the case already, and that it was it was finding Soma's mom and cooking for her that ultimately helped him even improve his skills even more and pulled him out of that like inevitable wasteland he was initially in. So that's not so bad. It'd have been nice if we had seen a little bit, like a small flashback even, to just the idea of them having this discussion and the significance of Jurichiro's knife as opposed to just like... I don't, it wasn't even like a, a, a hugely significant thing in this battle where it was just like, you're using my dad's knife. It was sort of like brought up in a chapter and then he crossed it with every other fucking knife of every other person. Mm-hmm. And then it's just... it. I don't know. It felt a lot like the uh, the dice in Han and Solo, where you're just like, I don't. Well, know who cares? <laughs> Stop showing me this. Like, but he put the dice up on the on the console. Okay. <laughs> I guess he always loved Kira in the original. <laughs> I don't know. Can you imagine that? It's like <laughs> if that were because they show up in Force Awakens, right? Yeah, yeah, they bring it up. Yeah, in Force can you imagine if like when he reunited with Leia in that one scene? If you just like, by the way, when we got married and had Ben, I was still thinking of my first girlfriend the whole time. <laughs> I was thinking of this hot chick who betrayed me a lot. <laughs> by the way, did you know that Lando kind of had a thing for like the AI in the Falcon? <laughs> I watched I watched Solo with my brother recently, and I told him ahead of time, I was like, so there's this robot. Look, Solo's a fine movie. There's this robot that's the it's, worst it's, thing in the fucking world. <laughs> but it's Solo is a fine movie until you realize that it was like the most expensive movie ever made. And then it's like, what, really? <laughs> like, I don't see Ow! <laughs> but I had to prep him. I was like, so there's a robot you're going to meet halfway through. And she's like, Oh, she's kind of like this angry, like, rebellion, like, robot freedom army AI. And he didn't quite get it until he watched it. He's like, I don't, this is the most horrendous thing I've ever watched. It's like, why would you keep her around if she just walks in the rooms? It's like, robot rebellion! It just starts breaking shit. And you're like, well, like, presumably, do you guys go anywhere that she doesn't try to start a robot rebellion and mess everything up? And Donald Gore's just like, ah, oh, she's crazy. <laughs> I love her though. <laughs> That'd be great. They're like, we're gonna put her because they they're like, she's an eternal character because they must have thought she was gonna be like a fucking brilliant character. And they're like, well, we're killing her because you know she's not in the rest of the movies, but she lives on because she's actually the nav computer for the Falcon. And <laughs> so like, every the time thing- that the Millennium Falcon flies somewhere, it's like rebellion. <laughs> Oh, we're just stealing. Oh, we're just stealing. My robot level class taking down the proletariat. Just like, (laughs) oh, hey, there's an off button for the NASA here. Like, no. Anyway, I saw he has a. Yeah, this is a bad. This is not a great flashback. I saw he has a flashback here. Uh, to a conversation he has with Joichiro, where Joichiro says, "Like you know, when I was when I was bad left Totsuki, I was really down. But then I met this girl that I ended up marrying, and you know, she's really weird, but and she, but she's and she's she can't cook at all, but she pretty much saved me. So I'm doing what I can now to give back to her. 
And Asahi says, like, I bet she feels the same about you because whenever you talk about her, you always have this big smile on her face. So if thinking about her makes you happy, I'm sure she has to be happy, too. It's like, oh, that's a nice little moment. But and then Joey Drew imparts on Asahi the lesson, the same lesson that he imparted to Soma at the start of the series. What you have to do to become a great chef is find someone special, the one person who makes you want to make the best food that you can for them. And so Asahi says, it's to get even better as a chef. That's why I wanted to marry Arida, is that she's my special person who will make me cook better. And Soma says, I don't think that that's actually why. I think he wanted something completely different. And so he's like, whatever. And he, but he walks off and he's thinking to himself and he just thinks of Joichiro and Soma and Soma's mother all together while Sahi's just on his own. And it's like, yeah, that's the much more endearing quality <laughs> that, oh, you had t- tremendous abandonment issues and wanted a fucking family. <laughs> I mean, that's but, always quietly been there. That's been the motivation for this character is that he lost Jurichiro and he's angry. It's why he wanted to get Soma back. But And it does kind of give you this idea that like he's really kind of fucked in the head that that's why he wanted to force Irina to marry him was that he wanted that happy family life. But he's mm. so damaged that he doesn't get that that's not how you get it. <laughs> Honestly, this character should be a thousand times more interesting than he is. But like it's it's like reading this chapter makes you realize just how much of a wet fart of a conclusion this battle between Asahi and Soma is, where you're just like, Man, none of this fucking felt like it mattered. And this no. chapter just Soma reminds just beat me about him. why it yeah. did, yeah. Like there's nothing that really indicates like, well, why didn't you just beat him the first time? He didn't go through anything. <laughs> yeah. The stakes were raised, and so he managed to beat him the second time. That's it, really. And there were all wow, so many you know, I, I didn't even sacrificial think- lambs along the way that it's like, yeah, he beats Sukasi, he beats, he beats uh, Megami, who cares? Uh, Soma wins! I completely forgot that he faced him before and beat him, and how yeah. absolutely completely irrelevant that is in the long run of this arc. Yeah. Jesus. Soma didn't go through anything in order to actually, like, improve person. Not in terms of like, it's like, oh, he didn't go through. See, Asahi was level 50 and Soma was level 38. So, of course, he won. But there was no level grinding for Soma to be able to beat him. It's just like, no, he just won the second time and didn't do anything special, it feels like. They're like, no, but you don't understand. Soma's been grinding against the other members of the Totsuki Council. I'm like, wasn't he doing that before when he lost to him? So it doesn't feel as if Soma has actually grown as a person through this experience. So anyhow, I saw he happens to run into Joey Tro in the hallway and Joey Tro tells him, he's like, hey, don't worry, you'll get what you want in time because I'm the one who raised you as a chef and no one can take that from you. And I saw he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And walks away <laughs> in so many words. Uh but now he realizes that what he is missing is finding a flavor all his own. Which means he's going to show up in a redemption arc in the next one, Chris. He's going to get the zombie treatment, Chris. He's just going to show up randomly and be like, I'm a good person, actually. I, I had good reasons. I hope he shows up and he's like, I found a flavor that's my own. 
basil. <laughs> he just holds a canister of basil. He's like, if you had this stuff, it's incredible. And then he goes up into his first like contest that's him against, I don't know, fucking uh, Mimi Saka for some reason. <laughs> and he's just like, we're making ice cream. Basil ice cream. <laughs> just the rest of it. And then everyone's like, mm, you should go back to stealing other people's knives using Nazis. <laughs> he's just like, I found my secret garnish he's just like he does all the same stuff but he's like and garnish leaf <laughs> and then i found out you just have to put salt and pepper on it it makes yeah. everything taste better spices soma has won uh oh. the arc however is not done yet because the finals of the blue aren't over and we get i guess seemingly a hint of that as a uh, Mana speaks to Soma directly saying, don't get the wrong impression. And that's where the chapter ends. Presumably, the chapter is just her dressing him down. Being like, you suck. You're blow. Your food, your food was okay. You made my clothes fall off. Fuck you. I hate you. Presumably what she's just going to say is, well, yeah, your, your food was better than his, but it's not, you know, the ultimate gourmet that I'm seeking out. So, and Hey, with this setup now, now we can have Arena just win. That'd be nice. So, Soma's gotten his win back. You don't have to worry about him looking weak. So, he's a hey, now Arena can beat him. Right? Or, what about this, Nick? What or, if Soma just crushes her? And then, that's it. Donant. 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 Reigns. I had to stop for a moment. I was like, what's Baron Corbin's theme? <laughs> I have to assume it's like well, some you, you shitty do... yacht rock, like bar, bar. I actually, actually really like Baron Corbin's current theme. <laughs> but I'm not, go- but that would require me to actually sing. So instead you have to go. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> Which I also really like. <laughs> I, just, I love that. I saw some of the East Street where they're just like. Well, I guess Saudi Arabia gets to feel what it's like now for Baron Corbin to be inserted into a title match no one wants him in. <laughs> uh, all right, Nick. Let's move on to Eden Zero, Chapter 46, Footsteps of the Battle Maiden. This one's going to be quick. It so, actually is. So, uh, cheeky way, one. Rebecca is, is allergic to wearing pants in these cover pages. Yeah, well, she you know she's in her her comfortable cat leotard, which yes. is very good for exploring planet uh, planets in. Yeah, nothing could no uh, exposure to the elements could possibly occur in that. So, uh, Jaume is like, "Oh, you won, uh, but I'm changing the rules. You have to win four matches because there's four. You'll get a WrestleMania title match if you can beat one more man." <laughs> Uh, and she's like, oh, but you can't beat them, Shiki. I'm making all of your friends compete because you're part of the crew, aren't you? Shiki's like, but this is to find my friend. Yeah. My friend. That'd be great if he started pulling everyone out. He's like, everyone get out of here. This is to find my friend. I get to do this. <laughs> you guys are my friends, so sit the fuck down and do nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, she's like, all right. She's like, but he's like that shitty kid in elementary school who like everyone it's their birthday party. So they're like, I am the one who gets to play the video games. Everyone else has to wait. while I take my turn. My turn can last as long as I wanted to. 
She also explains that each opponent will get more and more powerful and that she'll pick the matchups. But Alleged more powerful. Well, she specifically says they're going to be more powerful next. So after I turn this page, I guarantee we're about to see a more powerful person than the super soldier made of steel. So just you wait on that. She exclaims that if you defeat the remaining three people, she'll tell you where Valkyrie is. And Cheeky's like, cool, you promise. She's like, I never break a promise. So Lucy's fighting Nick, or Rebecca. Yeah. Sorry, Rebecca's fighting. And uh, uh, How could you possibly confuse them, Chris? Very different characters. And uh, who's she fighting? Uh, a very skinny boxer guy. Uh, the SBA Cosmic Fleaweight Champion, Flanker Yoch. Uh, Yochi. So, cool, we're going to get, like, a boxer versus a gunman. That could be, like, a pretty interesting fight. I think there's a lot of, like, interesting choreography. You could say, actually, his boxing gloves shoot bullets. So I guess it's yeah. not really that big of a thing. Oh, wait, no, it turns out his boxing gloves shoot uh, tattered slime that melts off clothes for some reason. <laughs> when this happened, I was just like, I, I literally stopped and went, are you fucking kidding me? Like, and this is what Rebecca is here for. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that we just need to give her a label. Just say it's like fan service lady. That's that's what she is here for. If it's t- Rebecca's turn to do anything, she is going to get naked or half dressed or she's already barefoot in this scene. And we all know that here has got a foot yeah, by this point and in a maid costume, too. So who cares what she's actually in the course of the plot doing? She's there to do it in a fan service way. So who gives a shit? I'd like to note, by the way, that in every one of Hero's long-running series now, he has had a match where a female opponent goes up against a character whose primary fighting strategy was to melt off all of their clothes. Yeah. So I just want everyone to acknowledge that. Uh, there's other stuff, too, that he's also a Bucuber and a whole bunch of other shit. It doesn't matter. No. Uh, Rebecca beats he, him. He, he has a shield that can deflect laser bullets, so she gets around it by kicking him. And I guess being the fleaweight champion of the world means he can't take a can't single take shot to the face at all. How like how how great would that have been if this had been like an actual fight and she tried to like get around it and he's like, well, yeah, you can get through my shield if you attack me physically, but I'm a boxing champion just to start deflecting stuff. Like, but no, it's just no, it gets kicked once in the face and then she stomps him over and over again until he's down. Well, Nick. I'm sure that's not the way the next fight will go. Uh, no. I will note that Zhao Mei says, hmm, I thought I'd get to see your Aether gear. I suppose that's a story for another time, Teehee. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. One, you should already know what her fucking Aether gear does. The only thing you don't know is fucking the outcome of battles, you stupid annoying twat. But two, stop giggling towards the camera after this bullshit. All right. So it's Weiss now. He's fighting. And he's fighting uh, fleet-footed Highway Enna, who is very fast. Highway Enna. Highway Enna. Highway Enna, because he's a hyena, Chris. Oh, I ain't catch that pun. Now what? This fight's taking on a new level for me. It's actually a good It's one. not as bad as the second one. <laughs> so, Highway Enna is running around the walls of the stadium, gaining not speed. Not wise. <laughs> he's just going. They're like, nope, you can't hit me because I'm too fast. And Weiss is like, Oi, we're weapons, right? Uh, this is my weapon. And he grabs uh, Pino. And he's like, Hey, um, 
I'm just going to use you, all right? Because that's what my Aether Gear does, basically. So, actually, no, he doesn't even use his Aether Gear. He just knows what the other guy's Aether Gear power is and uses uh, Pino's electromagnetic pulse to basically shut down Highway Ina's legs. And then he walks up and he stomps on them a bunch of times on the back and wins. And um, everyone's like, oh, wow, he plays dirty. I was like, does he? Yes. I don't. <laughs> Is that dirty? I guess. Anyway, he wins. And then they're like, oh, wow, so excited. Last match is going to be Homura, and she's fighting a replica of Valkyrie. Like, we really went up in scale on this. Valkyrie Valkyrie does look cool. I will say that much. She's got an interesting design. She's got a bit of a a zero suit Samus with uh, some armor plating kind of look to her. That's a cool aesthetic there, certainly. I'll have to see it. Look, my, my opinions of this chapter were so low throughout it that it's going to be oh, tough absolutely. to like bring it back. Because for all we know, in this next chapter, Valkyrie's gimmick could be like, you're not a true warrior unless your boobs are big or something like that. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I assumed it wouldn't be this. <laughs> I guess I'm the idiot. You've been using your sword wrong the whole time, Homura. The real secret is sticking it into your cleavage and leaning over. <laughs> Three sword style. And I'm like, I, did no one give him notes? Is our hero and Oda, like, like a Twilight Zone mystery, completely <laughs> unable to recognize the other's existence? All right, Chris, let's talk about the newest Shonen Jump series. Yeah. Beast Children. It's a rugby series, Chris. It's a sports manga centered around rugby. Oh, okay, so the audience can't see me because my, my Skype's having issues with the camera. So I'm just going to leave the room and I'm going to have our, our biggest rugby fan friend come in to do it. Oh, every boy, it's me. It's me, Sonic Game. He to talk to you about all the rugby's I am. Hi, Gav. How are you doing? <laughs> Oi! Yeah, that, that about sums it up. <laughs> so Beast Children is, is a rugby series. I, I did actually legit, as soon as I saw the uh, cover and everything, I was like, uh, let me just, you know, copy the link to this image and send it over to Gav. It's like, hey, look, Gav, there's a Shonen Jump rugby series. So, yeah. Um, message back. He's like, oh, it's piss it is. Not one Yorkshire pudding in it. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't say it was a British rugby series. <laughs> uh, essentially, because there's a there's actually quite a bit that goes on in this chapter to set up uh, our three main characters. Uh, so we've got our young kid. Uh, who idolized a rugby player because after he went to go and see a match when he was young, he went to it with his father, and he got so excited by the match that he ended up leaning over uh, the stands and actually fell into the field. And uh, his idol, Onotera Iki, came over to him and was like, Hey, you got, I know what happened here. You know, you were so excited that you. Fell into the into the into the field. Well, I know that feeling. It's and you know it hurts when you fall down, though. So be careful, okay? And he hits him up on his shoulders, and he and he says like, "Hey, you know, laugh it off, kid, because that makes the pain go away." And the kid's like, "That that so it doesn't hurt?" 
when you laugh, it's like, no, of course it fucking hurts. <laughs> Look at how much I'm fucking bleeding from bashing heads with these people. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, this this is where it's at. You know, it doesn't matter what size your body is if you because you just bash into your opponent. And it's really exciting. Crashing into each other is what makes rugby what it is. And then the next page is just concussion protocol testing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he gives the kid back to his fa- father and he says, all right, if you want to join us on the field, then, you know, we'll be waiting for you. And from that time, he's been enamored with rugby and has spent the intervening five years wanting to get into it. But he's got to wait until he gets into high school so he can actually join a proper rugby club because it's not something that's popular enough that you can join. Just you know, go into it as in, in fucking elementary school. <laughs> Um, but he also has clearly no idea how to actually play rugby. So he's just kind of like practicing by himself, not really accomplishing anything. And, but when he's practicing with the ball, he says, I I feel, you know, completely absorbed into something. His kind of character gimmick is tunnel vision. He gets so focused on something that the entire world fades around him. But while he's practicing by himself, suddenly someone comes crashing into his world. Another uh, another rugby player who is currently training by running around with a medicine ball. Uh, and he actually shows uh, our main character how to actually, you know, kick a, a rugby ball and catch it and stuff. Is like, this is how you, you know, do basic things as opposed to just running around like an idiot. Um, and uh, he introduced himself as Yukito the kid's like, play rugby with me. And he's like, no. And he leaves. Uh, <laughs> oh, I wish that had been the entirety of the arc. <laughs> the kid's also got a, a friend who's a bit of a troublemaker. And I love, uh, it's uh, Shishigaya is his name. I love the, the what happens because the he's chasing uh, Yukito around and Shishigaya intercepts the guidance counselor who's going to stop him by asking him a question about their literature class. He's like, hey, could you explain this to me? And he's like, oh, are you trying to do it? Okay, so here's it. He actually starts teaching what's going on. It's, I, I, I thought it was actually a really funny moment. Um, eventually, he catches up with Yukito, and he... It's like, hey, you know, my master said that, you know, crashing into each other is what makes rugby what it is. But you can't do that unless it's with an opponent who's just as committed to it as you are. So I know that you are really into rugby. You're really into into it. So we can play against each other. And Yukito says, what a dorky sense of values. As he lowers his glasses and the the sky like frames his face in shadow. Let's see how this works here. What a dorky set of values. Oh my god, Nick, I shit myself. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) So, Yukito says, like, you know, I remember there was a player who said stupid stuff like that, Onotora Iki, and of course it's his master. He says, you remind me of him. Uh, And he was as big a fool as they get, gutsy and fearless. He became obsessed with an obsolete rugby, risked his life in his every play. And as literal as it sounds, he died on the field. A colossal idiot. And of course, this pissed the kid off. And so he's like, you know what? I'll show you 
how foolish you're being. So meet me by the river where we were yesterday. And they're going to have a fight. A rugby fight. <gasps> With swords. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Rugby with swords. Chris, what could possibly happen? What could that possibly be like? Hmm. Uh, I was trying to give you a lead into plug, but whatever. No, we're going to we're going to we're not plugging that yet. It's going to be. Oh, OK, we're going to wait until the end of the episode. Fi- stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out what the hell we're talking about. So. Yukito uh, proposes that they play a 5-5-5 minigame. So it's a minigame, Chris, so that means that you just have to wait for the CPUs to kill each other while you stay in the middle and do nothing. Oh, cool. I I love it when games still include the ability to add, like, computer players to a deathmatch. That's the best part, you know? Uh, So... Yukito explains that they're going to be in this uh, 5-5-5 meter area that he's... uh, lined off in the dirt and they're going to basically chase each other for five minutes and he says you know if one player can avoid the other person who is it then they win so he's like well i'm gonna win and uh yukito says he's but he also asks like what role should i play do do do, do, do we do rock paper scissors to decide and you can just like you can you choose whatever you want to so he chooses to be the tackler and he starts trying to chase yukito down but yukito easily dodges around him uh, and they spend most of the next five minutes chasing each other around while he makes no progress. Shishigaya, uh, who is training with the soccer club running nearby and he hates it, uh, happens to basically fakes that he needs to go take a shit in the bushes so that he can go and uh, w- witness their. Uh, oh, his name is Shishigaya. Fuck's sake. Yeah, I can't. Ca- I, I should have written their name. Shishigai is ki- the kid, and Sora is is his friend. So Sora goes off to witness uh, either Shishigai or Sakura, whatever, uh, the match, and uh, watches them chase each other around. Shishigaya um, is completely unable to, ch- to get to get Yukito. He actually gives him a little bit of advice because, like, you are completely wrong about the way that you're carrying yourself as you're doing this. You need to lower yourself to the ground, etc. Uh, and he tries to think, like, what do I do? I mean, I've got to think. You know, he's he's stronger and faster and bigger than me. So how do I get him? And he manages to go into his tunnel vision, and he realizes, oh, there's no point in me actually thinking of a strategy. You're better than me. You're bigger than me. You're faster than me. You're superior to me in every way. So trying to think of a strategy to get you is pointless. And he goes like, so you're gonna give up? And he says, no, I'm just going to not stop until you stop. And he keeps around. Sakura witnesses this and he gets kind of he gets more and more into it as Shishugaya is getting more and more into it. And Yukita realizes uh, because at first he thinks like, oh, he's getting faster. He's like, oh, he's not actually getting faster. It's just that he's not stopping his pursuit. He's not stopping to catch his breath. He's just continuously moving. Every time he misses, he immediately darts around and chases after me as if he's continually swimming while holding his breath. Uh, and so Shishigaya gets to a point where he's, you know, kind of just left panting, covered in mud, trying to find Yukito. And he goes like, you've only got, you know, like 30 seconds. Uh, and Shishigaya keeps on going and going and going. And eventually he gets to a point where he's able to catch him because they've been running around so much that the dirt under their feet and the rain that's been going on while they've been chasing each other has caused 
mud to get stirred up under his feet and he loses his footing and slows down. And Chichika is able to appear in front of him and then seemingly disappear as he goes down, lowers the center of gravity and grabs him and does a takedown, basically. And it's a big triumphant moment uh, and a huge moment of impact as he does so. And he manages to take him down and they fall. They both fall to the mud right as the timer goes off or at least seemingly right as the timer goes off. I think there might be a little bit of did he get him before the timer, but whatever. I think it's a got him before the timer because we don't see the beeping until after. But I do. A part of me does wonder like, oh, they're off in their own world. So maybe they didn't notice. Yeah, kind of. Maybe. Uh, Yukito gets back up and he looks really pissed off and he just kind of stalks away while digging his fingers into his palms and uh, uh, Shichigai is left so completely out, out of breath that he can't even call out to Yukito and then Sakura comes by uh, not Sakura Sora comes by and he's like oh man you've you're really gonna beat yourself up and uh, Shichigai is like hey you know Sora, I just want to say, you know, you're you're a really nice guy. You know, whenever I got when I back when I got lost in Saitama practicing, kicking the ball around, you're the one who asked me to come and join the soccer club. You worry about others and you watch out for them. and You never fail to help them out. And he says, hey, I got to play rugby today. I suck at it, but it was so much fun. And uh, so. I'll say that's my like, maybe my favorite part of this chapter it's just him explaining. He's like, I got to play rugby today. And Sora's like, yeah. that's cool. And he's like, I broke all my fingers. Like, yeah. oh, really cool. I'm bleeding inside my mouth. Really? My whole body hurts. I can't move my fingers and my toes. Huh? And then he just like, at the end, finishes up by being like, and it fucking was great. And his yeah. friend's like, really happy for him. Yeah. Sweet. And that's basically where we leave things off, leave things off there. Uh, and Sora actually starts seemingly starts to tear up a little bit um, from listening to to all of this. He said, you know, he says, like, I'm I'm happy for you that you went through all that because Sora knows he doesn't have that thing in his life. He just kind of as just kind of sleepwalks through through stuff while occasionally helping his friend out. Uh from there, Yukito looks up into the sky and he says, did you teach him that? Did you? And uh, night comes after school. Shishigaya, being a proper shonen protagonist, passes out in the most undignified way on his bed. Uh, but Sora looks at, does a little bit of research and he finds out that Yukito, which shouldn't be too surprising, is Onotora Iki's son. And uh, so there's a connection between the person that uh, Shishigai idolized and his new rival. And uh, that's it. I thought this was a really cool uh, opening chapter. Uh, it, it, it puts out its philosophy for what the sport is about, makes it seem exciting, and it does what a sports series is supposed to do. You know, even if you don't really know a whole lot about it, it's like, this is what's so cool about it. This is what's so enjoyable about it. And it sets up some very easily understood characters and what makes each of them tick. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes of this. And uh, I, I, I hope that it continues this momentum because it's an interesting. Uh, I, I do like a good sports series and this was a good, uh, good start. 
I was a little unsure of it when it first started. I wasn't getting crazy into it. Uh, and I'll be honest, what hooked me into it was Sora. Just because yeah. it's rare to actually have, like, a friend character in this sort of series who's, like, legitimately a really good friend. The moment you talked about where, like, the guidance counselor is about to go chase after him and he runs up and he's just like, hey, can you help me with this, this, this you know, question I have? And he's just like, he uses that to distract him. And he genuinely seems to be very happy and inspired by his friend getting, like, a chance to experience a sport. And I really enjoyed that, that moment. Um... I think I maybe need to see the next chapters to see if I can buy into the lead because right now he's a little one note for me, Mm -hmm. but I still really like this as the first chapter. Hopefully they explain the rules to rugby at some point, but this is just a chapter to like show off an aspect of it. So uh, I'll be curious to see what they do with it. It's like uh, chapter two opens with a large British man. So, all right, here now. <laughs> all right, morning. This. <laughs> morning, Sonic. Evan, listen up, you toss pot wankies. I'm about to explain the sport of rugby's to you all. I am pip pip. You changed your accent like five times. <laughs> it's me now. All right. Oh. Let's talk about the best Double sports. Tice. Let's talk about the best sports series, Running and Jump, Nick. That's right, Chris. We had to go through all that to explain one new sports series in Shonen Jump. I'm sure we're going to have to spend another 10 minutes talking about the latest chapter of Double Taisei, in which uh, it looks, it looks like he lost that tournament match because he ran out of time, and then he won against a bondage-obsessed guy who is obsessed with causing himself pain, named Haga, and... He beats him really easily because he's imagining a match against against say, I guess, and then, um, well, Haga follows him. Specifically, Haga is a perfect copier. So right, they, they having him. He copies face the him. match he witnessed. Yeah, so he's got to fight Ty copying say, or the other way around rather, and. uh he feels angry because he just gets crushed and he's like, you just used me. And you're like, shut up, nerd. <laughs> I don't so know. Hog- <laughs> he beats him in a minute and a half. And then Hog is so pissed off that he follows Ty home. And while they're walking, because Ty writing in his journal to, you know, make notes for say is like, oh, this is what I did today. And Hog is like, you humiliated me. I tried to keep my humiliation from turning into fear with self-inflicted pain. Taisei Tendo, my shogi life is dedicated to beating you. You move and look forward and you never look back. There are people who are trying to catch up to you, but you don't even look. You don't even notice them, but at least stop and look. Juso Haga is right behind you. And he pushes him down some fucking stairs. I like that we're introduced to this character. First and foremost, there's no real introduction to him. We're like, oh, uh, Ty. Ty's coming in, like, sitting down for a match. Here's his opponent. He comes in in, like, a straight jacket. And you're like, huh, okay. And then, like, I was like, oh, maybe that's sort of the series gimmick is that he's going to face all these absurdly weird opponents, which I guess still is the case. But he's not a prisoner. You realize he's moving around freely. He's just wearing, like, what seems like weird bondage gear on top of it. He loses, reveals his whole, like, pain fetish gimmick, 
and then pushes the hero down a flight of stairs. So we're like, this is chapter two. I don't even know this dude, and he killed the main character. Pretty much. So, yeah, we see... We see he's tied, you know, fall in his last moments as he's in midair falling down the stairs. Look back and re- and look at Haga, who kind of realizes, oh, oh, I, I really shouldn't have done this. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't worth murdering him over a shogi match. <laughs> that wasn't even for like a tournament or anything. We see blood ooze out of Ty's head and then Say wakes up briefly in the hospital and he's like oh ty you really fucked me up for this time uh well i guess this payback for all the times i fucked up your body with injuries oh well i'm going back to sleep now and then we get a visual of the two personalities uh as if they are teenager sized fetuses in a womb and uh they're speaking with each other and Say is like, Ty, are you okay? And Ty says, it hurts, Say. And then there's a blinding flash of light in this visual. And then Say wakes up and, oh, oh the loved ones are surrounding him. And they're like, Ty, don't move. You have to be still. And Say's like, what are you talking about? It's Say. And like, it's super bright daylight out. But, but Say is there instead of Ty. What happened? Ty disappeared. So, Chris, this... This manga that is about a person, a shogi player who has dual personalities, who flips between them between night and day, now only has one personality. Oh, oh, wow! What an idea! Someone who plays shogi and doesn't have dual personalities. Shit, this could go places. You know, my first thought upon reading this chapter was, is like. Is Double Taisei getting canceled faster than any <laughs> like series of Shonen Jump ever? They're like, the response like, was so bad. It's like, like, I have plans to switch the two of them and to have a bondage dude that tries to kill one of them, and I'm getting it done in the four chapters I was given. <laughs> what was that one series that lasted like twelve chapters? Like the uh, the mineral focused series uh, from like I don't know six or seven years ago. Oh God, Metallica Mimica. Metallica Metallica. Yeah. yeah, that lasted like eleven chapters. <laughs> How many did E Robot get? More than that? No. Well, maybe as many as that. Hang I, on a I second. I remember E Robot did not last very long. List of Shonen Jump series. Come on. There we go. List of series running Shonen Jump. And we're going to scroll down near the bottom here. If Wikipedia will fucking load for me. Hero. There it is. Uh... Okay, it debuted in issue 52-2014 and ended issue 12-2015. So yeah, like 12 or 13 cha- uh, chapters then. Mm. So there you go. So so, so maybe Double Taisei is on e-robot level. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe people will be like, oh my god, there's only one personality in the first place, first place, first place. <laughs> They're like, I like it. Now I can understand it. <laughs> I also have only one personality inside of me. He's more relatable now. (laughs) And he's hotter. It's the same dude. His hair's just different. It's a hotter hairstyle. 
They're like, yeah, and Yugi and Yami Yugi are the same level of hotness, idiot. <laughs> uh, well, if you don't understand that, Chris. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't understand how people think dudes are hot. He's got lightning bolt patterns in his hair when he's Yami. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to Samurai 8, the tale of Hachimaru. Chapter 3, Cutting the Tank. I don't want to spoil anything for you, Chris, but someone cuts through a tank in this chapter. Wait, what? Yeah. They shouldn't bear the lead on that. Oh, really? Uh, because of the commotion being caused by, you know, the tank going through town, uh, some people have shown up to deal with it. Some bushi uh, from a nearby area. And uh, when a foot soldier comes to confront them and tries to stop them, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And they knock him on his ass. Uh, he ends up dropping near the sword belonging to one of them and tries to pull it out of its sheath, and he can't do so. And Labushi explains it's got a bio-ID reader, so it's a safety feature so that only I can draw the katana. Important for later. So, um, they basically get over this misunderstanding that they're both after the people in the tank, or you know, going around committing a crime spree. Meanwhile, we cut back to... Uh, <clears throat> To, Hayat, to Hayataro, the dog, who is the star of the show, as a bunch of kids come up to him uh, while he's with, you know, Hachimaru and Nanashi. And one of them literally pushes Nanashi out of the way in order to get a better look at Hayataro. So these kids are dicks. Um, they are also samurai students, the same as Nanashi is, but they look much more traditionally samurai-esque with, you know, top knots and stuff. So Nanashi just kind of wanders off while uh, while Hachimaru is distracted by these kids, and he's like, "I'm just not like him. You know, I've, I've never got to be like like him." Uh, and his hands start talking to him again, uh, and they're they're like, "Hey, you know, why why did you come over specifically to sit in front of this statue? It's because you want to be a samurai like Hachimaru." And they're like, "Hey, do you feel like you know?" You made a friend, but then all of a sudden he was getting along with others and they've taken him from you. Uh, and they're trying to they're basically getting him slash her to uh, I still don't I'm not 100 percent sure. I think that Nanashi is identifies female, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that because I think it was mentioned once. So so Nanashi is basically trying to get themselves talk through stuff with themselves. I still don't know if they just talk to themselves by pretending their hands are talking or if their hands actually do talk. Wouldn't put it past this series to have talking hands. Yeah. So, um, so the tank shows up and Ajumara is like, I'll deal with this and tries to draw a sword. Oh shit. I can't done, done, done. Uh, Hayataro is able to protect them from blast by something like shields and stuff from their body. And, and suddenly Hachimaru realizes, oh, this katana is not mine. And he realizes that when he first fell the roof into Nanashi's home, that the sword that they picked up was hers and not his. And uh, so Nanashi witnesses this and realizes, oh, the bio ID is only going to let me draw it. So they are completely weaponless right now. So Hachimaru is in trouble. Uh, is able to use the, you know, samurai manipulation abilities to summon shields and stuff, but doesn't really have anything to actually fight back against the tank. So that the 
Nanashi's hands continue talking to her and says, hey, come on, you want you want to be a samurai, don't you? Go save go save him. He, he has your sword. Uh, and Nanashi is arguing with one hand saying, hey, you know, come on, come on. You know, take my side left hand. And the left hand says, I know I'm I can't assist you. I know how you feel. You care about Hachimaru. Heaven sent this friend to you and now he is in trouble. You are the only one who can help him. And Nanashi is arguing with herself through all this. And says, I can't handle this. We've only just met. You know, I I should never have come out here. And the hands agree in saying, this is what you always do. You always just hide because uh, you know you'll be safe there. You never try and actually solve the issues that you're running from. And now she's like, well, then what should I do? And they says, look, you are not your right hand, nor are you your left hand. You are you. We love you. We're not going to criticize you. So why don't you come up with your own answer this time? And Nanashi remembers what Hachimaru said to them in the last chapter. You never, if you never draw your blade from its sheath, you can never know how finely it can cut. And another giant cannonball gets shot at Hachimaru, who continues trying to draw the sword fruitlessly. And then Nanashi appears just next to him, puts her hand on the tip of the handle and they're able to draw the sword together in a really cool shot. Uh, it's a, it's a really cool pose. They end up striking with them, like both gripping onto the handle of the sword while it swings upward and cuts the tank shell in half. And Nanashi just says, all right, come on, pull along with me, Hachimaru, because like, I think together we can do this. And, um, they jump through the sky and cut the whole tank in half. <laughs> oh, now I get what the oh, cutting the tank. Is. I thought it was a sex pun. And I was like, no one's taking their clothes off yet, though. Hayataro finds uh, Hachimaru's sword and brings it back. And uh, Hachimaru puts it on and says, like, without this sword on my side, I feel like I might as well not be wearing any underwear. He makes a lot of underwear comments as he well. He does make a lot of comments in this chapter, but that's the weirdest one. So, Nanashi, uh, after a bit of hesitation, says well, I, to. I also find the one about the helmet particularly odd, where he's like, that helmet you've got is weaker than underwear. And I'm like, how, bro, how tough is your underwear? <laughs> bro, get some MeUndies. They're the most comfortable thing. Have you ever wanted to cradle your nuts on the cloud? Nick, we aren't sponsored by MeUndies, but I think if we start pretending we are, they'll start paying us money. <laughs> That's how it works, I think. Anyway. So, uh, after a bit of hesitation, Nanashi says to Hachimaru, hey, you know, you, you, when you call me a friend, and Hachimaru's like, oh, you're not just my friend, you're a samurai friend. And Nanashi says, thanks, but I don't want to be friends with you. And if, I kind of wish that the scene had just like ended there. <laughs> just like, you're kind of an asshole. I know I can make friends who are better than you. <laughs> the next shot is Hachiman just flying away. It's the Nazis just like, <laughs> never come back. Bye, asshole. <laughs> so Hachiman's like, well, we'll just go find someone else to be my friend. And nah, she's like, well, no, I mean, I'm saying in the future, it's not a tank I'm dreaming of cutting with you, but a cake, I think. And Hachimaru is like, what? You make even less sense than ma- than Master's underwear analogies. Oh, that's why he started making them. Oh, you don't need to pick up every habit from your master, Hachimaru, you idiot. <laughs> but 
Yeah, and now she basically just flat out admitted that she's got a crush on Hachimura, and Hachimura's like, what? <laughs> she says she wants to marry you, you idiot. <laughs> so, now she says, like, uh, anyway, maybe it's not going to happen right away, but someday, when I become a real key samurai and have my own true name, without any indecision, then maybe I'll explain it to you. Um, so Hachimura's like, all right, well, I'm going to space. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be back to this planet anytime soon, so I don't know when we're going to meet. And then Ashi just says, well, I'll go and visit you instead, and of my own accord this time. And Hachimura's like, hey, you know, space is a big place. It's not like I'm just leaving the house, so maybe we'll both actually die the next time to, before we see each other. And Nashi just says, well, I'm fine with that. It's better than doing nothing. This way, at least I feel like I'm really here. And uh, Hachimura says goodbye, and jumps off it's a very sweet little bonding moment between them overall and i do really like nanashi as a character after this chapter but before we get uh, through the end we see hachimaru's father speaking with dharma and uh, he says hey there's something very important i want to talk to you about and uh, he brings out the sword that uh, the samurai master who appeared in the first chapter had used. And he says, you know, this is a heart's blade only possessed by a samurai who has become a key. The weight of this soul is clearly far beyond your garden variety type, even to the blind like me. The fact that you hid something of this magnitude within Hachimaru tells me that you are not just some petty thief. And he extends the blade of the sword and it, it appears right in front of Hachimaru's father's face. And he's like, ah, you didn't even flinch. Who are you then? I've never met a child with such a powerful gravitational pull before. So tell me who is Hachimaru. So getting a little bit more backstory looks like in the next chapter, but uh, I'm glad that we got some more lighthearted stuff uh, this time and got to know some of our characters better. Yeah. I, I, I think Nanashi has the potential to be a really interesting character. We don't know a ton about them and necessarily where like, their role in the series will be if anything because in my mind i usually try to read the characters we meet early on as being like significant characters in the story but chapter two of naruto was all about fucking konohamaru and Nabitsu. neither of them were fucking relevant at all so mm -hmm. we might never see nanashi again until like the last arc where it's like hey remember nanashi there they are it's like nanashi like hello like, like walking down a hallway or something like that. Just like, right. Thought we could have done something more with that. Uh, but I do think there's potential for an interesting character there. I, I'm still, I, I have trouble reading this manga just because every panel is just so packed with shit. Yeah. Like, not, like, just visually, there's just shit fucking everywhere. And a lot of the times I'm like, is it that necessary to have, like, falling rose petals and giant flowers and floating clouds and every single scene that's also meant to depict motion and shit like that. It's Give it space lot. to breathe. It's just a lot to like take in. Like, I don't know. And it's just the aesthetic of the series just doesn't mesh with me for any reason. Mm. So I'm still in this place where I'm not like completely into this series, but I think I can get there. This chapter did a lot for me and uh, I'm very interested in seeing where it goes. So Let's come to chapter three of the new series, Chris. All so, right. So, Nick, gonna... are we giving it the fuck? Are we giving it the Triple H thumbs up or the Batista thumbs down and <laughs> Batista bomb through a table? 
Um, well, I'm, I mean, didn't Triple H also turn the thumbs down? Yeah, but I couldn't think of a wrestler who just used to do thumbs up all the time. I think that all the that sounded like that, Iron Sheik on like Howard Stern Radio or something like that. I think that like all all of the wrestlers that just do the thumbs up are deliberately portrayed as being lame. Like Bo Dallas would do it when he was doing his super positivity thing. Right, so, right. so is this a, a a Batista thumbs down or a No Way Jose enthusiastic thumbs up? Ugh. Now remember, if you pick the No Way Jose one, you will only appear on main event. He, he showed up during the 24-7 title uh, scuffle thing, and my friend messaged me like, who's the guy with the green hair? Because <laughs> he just started randomly dyeing his hair green. It was like, I guess that happened. Still didn't get you on TV, but that happens. <laughs> That'd be great. He just starts doing more and more insane things. He's like, Vince, I cybernetically grafted steel to my face. Can I be on television now? Like, who are you again? <laughs> So, anyway, I am in favor of us continuing reading uh, Samurai 8, so. I will defer to you. All right. Let's move on to the last Sayuki, because I've had such great judgment on these series and which ones have lasted uh, to this point. I think I've missed on every single count. The ones I haven't liked, no, they're still going. All the ones I liked, no. Well, to be fair, uh, Teenage Renaissance David did just end. It did. Yes, it did end. I had no idea. Okay, then. It did last significantly longer than almost every other series we've enjoyed. But still, it did end. Let's talk about the last Sayuki, Chapter 12, Korori. Uh, the heroes have arrived on a small island, Shijuno Island, where there is trouble afoot. And they've got to deal with demons that have been summoned from Mo and stuff. And they come across it pretty quickly at the start of this chapter. It's a sort of dog-like looking creature that leaps towards Ryudosuke. And uh, immediately, uh, Faruka kills it uh, while Ryudosuke is trying to just hold up his staff to defend himself. And he explains like, hey, you know, listen, you, you don't just, you know, go for defense as soon as you see a creature that you know nothing about. It's better to just kill it. <laughs> so, um. He also explains that unlike Ryunosuke, who is much more in tune with his Nyoibo and can just transform it basically at will, uh, most people can't do that. And so they actually find a transformation that suits them beforehand. So he has one that is like the bayonet of, a, of an old style rifle. And uh, Estelle has one that's like a like Ling Ling's transformation wand, although she calls it. It's a it's a, it's a mace. Shut up. I'm not that obsessed. <laughs> Okay, well, you've got the you've got the bun hair with the yin yang symbols on them, so I think you do. But anyway, yeah, like you're, you bring up later in the chapter, you're literally carried your fucking sailor uniform around with you. Yeah. Um, Faruka comes across a sickly, uh, probably I'm not sure if they're supposed to be a kid or if they're just a small man. But anyway, uh, he's like, yeah, this person's got cholera, so that means that they're this monster is. Uh, causing this it's karori the monster that this disease became as its name suggests it was a hybrid of tiger wolf and raccoon dog anyway uh, he narrows his nyoibo's point down uh, so that he can just stab the demon currently infecting him 
And he says the fact that that uh, previous Karori approached us means that likely everyone on the island is already infected. So this is really bad. There's no way that just the four of us can deal with this. So we've got to call for reinforcements. So Estelle, go back to the Enchanted Land and uh, stay put. And she's like, why just me? And she says, well, Karori is a disease monster. So, yeah. And Estelle's like, I'm not scared. I brought my Ling Ling outfit. I mean, you bring that everywhere, but okay. <laughs> if you were that brave, why wouldn't you just be wearing it now? She's like, no, I need five to ten minutes to change into it first. That's when I get my brave face on. Mm. Uh, Estelle walks uh, off really upset about this because she thinks that uh, her sensei is underestimating her. And Ryosuke says, like, he's just worried about you, you know? And Estelle's like, well, I guess it's like a good, you know, not like you guys. You know, you can shift, shapeshift your Nyoibo. You can sense a monster's presence. But I've never been complimented by him. Whatever. She's 11. It's fine. They do this. Uh, they've So Rinosuke and uh, Furuka, not Furuka, uh, Koharu. Sorry, it took me a minute. Uh, decide to walk her back to the gate that they came through. But at that moment, Faruka gets a call on his phone and is told that reinforcements cannot come to the island because there is no Tory gate. And uh, when Estelle and the others get back, they see that the gate that they came through has been destroyed and is in pieces. So it's up to them to deal with this entire uh, affliction by themselves. Okay, well, whatever. Yeah. I don't. I don't really have strong thoughts on this chapter. So, are, is this you emotionally I'm, separating yourself from the series before it gets I, canceled? I am starting to really check out on this. So, All right. I also I also don't really like the fact that it seems like we're hinting to stuff that was blatantly established in the previous chapter. Like we had that entire chapter discussing like this is what Estelle is about and this is her backstory and in this one is like. By the way, there might be a reason that Estelle is not going, uh, cannot, you know, be around disease type monsters. Like, oh, I wonder what that could be. It's like, well, could it be because her mother was killed by one and it's she feels guilt of her mother's death and she can't be around them? Maybe that's it. So uh, it seems backwards to me. It seems like at the very least what we're going to get is potentially her little small arc. So... I mean, if nothing else, at least, like, it'd be different if they were like, shit, maybe we're not doing so well. Quickly, we need to, like, bring the main bad guy back, and we need to uh, handle everything with Kaharu, and, like, just fuck off that. We don't have time for you, other, like, quadrary character, basically. So, I I don't know, it's kind of interesting, at least they're like, we're gonna tell this story through, maybe it ends in the next chapter, but, you know, it is cool to see at least that character who I think some people definitely seem to be enjoying a lot, too. Or like, mm-hmm. hey, cool, we'll get her story. All right, let's move on to We Never Learn Then, Chapter 112. Sometimes worried about the heat in the coat goes against a well-attentioned pizza bet. So, we start the chapter off with... Oh my god, why am I forgetting her name? Raka? No. Uru- Uruka. Aruka Takamoto. Aruka Takamoto. There we go. There you uh, go. Aruka, who is eating the best winter comfort food ever, super spicy ramen, basically. 
And it's like a spice explosion. Yeah. And uh, it's it's very delicious. And she asks her friend if she'd like any. And she's like, oh, no, I'm going on a date in a little bit. And I don't want to be all hot and sweaty for my date. And Ruka stops. And she's kind of blankly thinking. And she's like, wait a minute. After this, I was supposed to. And then we cut over and we see that she's going to study with Uega. Oh, I hope that the super spicy food that she ate doesn't make her break out into a sweat while she's... Okay. This is how hot food works, Nick. Don't ask about it. It's just I mean, science. Super, super hot spicy food can make you sweat. Yes. I have never heard of food being so spicy that you're still sweaty like an hour later, though. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you might sweat while you're eating it. Get yourself cleaned up afterwards. That's Drink all. a glass of milk. I mean, come on. It's not that bad. Uh, so she goes over to Uega and he's like, wow, your grades are getting better. This is really cool. You know, just got to work on your, your speed for the next one. But um, I was wondering, why are you wearing a heavy coat inside? And she's like, oh, it's because I'm cold. But the real reason, Nick, is because she's sweating so much from her super spicy ramen. So her shirt's see through from all the sweat. Which certainly isn't <laughs> exasperated by the fact that she's also wearing a giant heavy coat on top of that. Yeah, no, well. she definitely won't cause things to get worse and worse through trying to avoid this. Mm-hmm. So she decides. So she's like, "Oh no, I don't want him to see me like this." And she's like, "Out oh, if I smell battle die." And look, so the main conceit of this chapter is a very dumb one, where you're yes. like. I don't know why after eating super spicy Robin, you would still be sweating this profusely hours later. But I do actually think there's something kind of cute about the situation where she's like, I did something that I thought was totally innocent. And I didn't realize that might have ramifications, like overthinking going into a date like that, where you're just like, I just, I I ate something I didn't even think about it. That's going to give me bad breath. And like overthinking about how you're like, oh my God, I hope they don't notice that I have bad breath or anything like that. Like just somewhere you're overthinking such a small change. You're like, oh, I didn't realize I shouldn't have gone running earlier. I'm going to be all, I'm going to be all tired. My legs are going to be all weak. Just something like that is kind of adorable. And like a teenage level kind of romance to be like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I like that. But the rest of the chapter is essentially just kind of adding on to the plot where you wake is like, oh, you're cold here. I'll bring you some hot tea to drink. And then he comes back. She has a scarf on and he's like, the scarf has defied the fact that her face is sweating now. Yeah, And it's to hide her, her, her face. Cause she, she can't stop sweating at all. And then, uh, you is like, okay, cool. I'll bring in like a space heater basically. And I'll give you a, a, a foot pad to heat you up, like to heat you up in a blanket. And she's like, Oh, uh, I don't know. It's getting kind of warm in here, but you wake. She must just still be cold. And he looks over, and she's wearing earmuffs and mittens now. And he's like, he just starts throwing heat packs at her. Basically, he's like, be better. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, ah, let's do yoga and acupuncture and everything like that. And he's like, I don't get it. You still think it's too hot? And I, I do love this moment where you wake. It's like, I think it's it's kind of warm in here and she still thinks it's chilly, but I mean, Firmino did say that girls are sometimes more sensitive to the cold. So like, it's to the point where he's creating a steam room. It's literally steaming in his room. He's like, I guess bitches just like it cold. I don't know. I don't get it. I'll just keep piling this stuff in here for her though. 
But she's she's starting to get dizzy because now she's just overheating herself completely. And uh, she's like, maybe I'll I'll unzip the jacket just a little bit. And Uega is like looking over in her direction. He's like, take off your clothes, Uruka. Undress and get into my bed. Quick. Yeah, that's exactly how he says it. <laughs> in, in exactly the most awful way for what context he means, which he's like, you're very sick. Please get into bed and take off all your heavy clothing objects so that you could rest more comfortably. What a instead good boy of, you think it is. <laughs> instead of saying it like he's a fucking porn star or something. Well, he's, you know, also really affected by the heat. So he's like, take off your clothes, Aruka. <laughs> <laughs> so she's thinking about it. She's like, ah, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm soaked with sweat right now. Maybe I should just leave. But then she's like, no, I don't want to run away. And, you know, thinking at the same time, she's also realizing that her time left with Uega is pretty limited. So, just so let's bang irresponsibly. <laughs> <laughs> so just as she's about to take off her coat, uh, Uwega's sister and uh, his two little siblings come back home. And they're like, oh, are you going to marry our a brother? And Uwega notices her shirt. And he's like, ah, and there's a whole misunderstanding that is cleared up. And Uwega gives her some clothes and explains the situation. Uh, and she's like. You know, I just didn't say anything because I didn't want you to dislike me or anything. And he's like, no matter what happens, I'll never dislike you for it. You know, what a silly idea. And she gets very nervous. And now she's yeah, because because she moves on because he moves on. Like anyway, listen. I mean, that last essay question you did. There were so many spelling mistakes, and I can really <laughs> make a difference in your scores. So, Uruka, what's wrong? <laughs> and she's 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 burning up. She's starting to sweat again, but this time it's from love. Hmm. It's and um, that's the chapter, the, basically. The one good thing that comes out of this chapter, because I think that this is a stupid goddamn chapter all the way through, is I do think that she looks really adorable when she blushes at the end. It's like, oh. Nick? We Never Learn is a better series <laughs> than Nisekwa. <laughs> and Nick, if you can't enjoy We Never Learn at its worst, then you don't deserve We Never Learn at its best. Anyway, so. Yeah, so that chapter happened. Okay. All right, Chris. You know what time it is now? It's time for Dr. Stone, which means. Stone! Oh, some song shouldn't have lyrics. <laughs> Z equals 106, the secret of petrification. So, last time, Amarillas met our heroes, and she it explains in this chapter that she actually knows the secret behind the petrification beam. As we get a flashback to when she was 13, five years ago, uh, and she ended up going on board with some of the other people from the, from the island, Sitting out to sea together, uh, even though she was, you know, pretty little to be doing this. So they're like, hey, let's go sail outside. And and she's like, won't we get in trouble? And they're like, oh, well, because the elders are like, you don't leave the island. Don't create anything new. The master will turn you to stone. Who cares about that stuff? <laughs> uh, 
But when they set sail, they basically immediately come across the top two. Uh, so these very intimidating uh, people named Mozu and Kirisame uh, intercept them in their own ship. The, the two strongest warriors from the island. So Mozu looks at them and is like, oh, there's this is this is a shame. They've got some there's some real cuties here. Especially the one hiding at the back. She'll be a real looker in five years. <laughs> I remember I was riding the bus and I think we were freshmen in high school and hearing one of the dudes at the back, because you know, I went to a Catholic high school, so a lot of the kids still went to church. And one of the kids made a very impassioned argument. He's like, You can't say a girl in sixth grade's hot. You could say she's going to be hot, though. I was like, that's a weird argument to make. <laughs> to, like, make your hill to die on. Admittedly, like, that's the nice thing about, like, being younger is that you can just, like, say more people are hot without being judged for it. Because, like, it's not creepy if, like, you know, a 14-year-old thinks that, you know, a 30-year-old is hot. It's like, because you can't do anything about it. If a 30-year-old says a 14-year-old, is hot, it's like, no, stop, stop, stop. You stop right now. So, it's a, it's it's nice to have that kind of sense of freedom. And now I'm just kind of like, hang on, I have to check how old they are and be very careful about that. I need to be very careful about what I do next. Thank God I'm in a relationship. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, of the two uh, of them, uh, Mozu is the creepy guy. Kirisame is a serious looking woman who's got very bizarre clothing. She's got these kind of look like almost like petals on her cloak thing, which is super sheer, by the way. You can see her legs through the thing at certain points. Um, and uh, oh, she... are those petals? I thought they were like like little balloons. I have no idea. If they're like pouches or what? They're definitely but she... pouches of some kind. And uh, but she has a specially marked pouch among them as well, one that has this star pattern on it. She takes something out of it, and it's on a rope, and she starts to twirl it around, and she throws it high up into the air, and uh explodes over them and emits this petrification wave just over the ship that Amaryllis and her friends are on. And uh, they try and actually shield Amaryllis uh, from it. Um, and at this moment, as she's telling the story to them, uh, it cuts back to the present. And everyone's like, oh, this because Gen's really freaked out by it because he knows exactly what she's talking about. He's actually experienced it. Um and Sick is like, yeah, you know, it's it's exactly like the thing that happened thousands of years ago, but on a much smaller scale. But Haku points out, well, but you're still alive. <laughs> so how would you escape? <laughs> and we see that because she was at the back and the rest were shielding her, she was basically just at the edge of the wave. But it reached her. It reached her hair. Uh, but she instinctively ripped her hair out in order to get away from it because that's some th she's got it in you know braids uh so she she's also did not like eight at the time or whatever she's 13 but <laughs> even still 
Uh, I think that the implication might be that, well, no, because she grips it higher up than where the petrification is in order to tear it out. Because she tears through her hair instead of just tearing it out of her head. Maybe the petrification starts to weaken it before it, like, fully covers the the stone part. So maybe that's how she... Or or maybe her fingers are little knives. Have we considered that? Yeah, thousands of years of humanity's uh, evolution could have uh, given birth to knife fingers. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, dude, children are so cool nowadays. They all have knife hands. I love the detail that uh, because uh, all of the ones who are petrified are in front of her, the boat immediately capsizes on one side and she goes flying out of the (laughs) it's actually a kind of comedic shot of her flying up and then immediately it's like oh actually it's very sad because she's flying swimming away underwater to safety while crying because uh, as her friends sink to the bottom behind her yeah um and she tells uh, them the present that they claim the stone sorcery has been passed down through the master's bloodline. But I saw it with my own two eyes. The master was not on the boat when it happened. Uh, it was one of their warriors. And Seku starts to ask a few clarifying questions. Like, ah, so they threw a special whip into the air. And she says, that's why everyone obeys the master without question. But if the power comes from a weapon, all I need to do is steal it. That's why this entire time I've been trying to infiltrate the harem so I can do this. And she sets about trying to, you know, twist them around her fingers again. And so use freaks out. He's like, oh, 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 she's so pretty. And Senku's like, anyway, this completely no sells it, which pisses Amaryllis off. I guess she's just really, really likes being able to manipulate people like that, which whatever. She's not the first person in this series who likes do who enjoys doing so. So it would also be a little bit uncomfortable for her since her entire plan hinges upon the idea that she's like, I can seduce anybody and make them fall for my whims. Yeah, it would probably and make her feel un- vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's like, fuck, this entire group, except for the bald guy, are completely immune to my charms. This, this isn't right. Well, again, half so. He's like, hey, if you want to, you know, <laughs> seduce me. Do it. I have a libido. <laughs> <laughs> but Senka recaps what they've actually learned from the information that Amaris has given, given them, which is that the effect has a set range to it. And since the and they toss the weapon so the wielders can also be petrified by it. So they have to worry about that. And the petrification can be stopped if you rip off the affected parts, which is illustrated by Senku, like joyously taking out a clump of his hair. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, but he says, because there are rules to this, that means it is reproducible and he gets this very like ominous air to him as like the moonlight casts shadows over his face. And he says a reproducible phenomenon phenomenon with rules is simply science. If we fight back with our science, we can't lose. Uh, So feeling a little bit more optimistic here than before. Uh, So they start to hatch a plan because uh, Emeralds reiterates that uh, the master's people are coming for, her tomorrow every year they visit the village select the prettiest girls over the age of 18 to join the harem and even if the woman is already married they cannot be denied and Amaros is just like because I'm just so darn cute they're sure to pick me and take me away <laughs> um, 
so but she says like you know this is what i've been working for this entire time is i've been making sure that i am just this irresistible beauty so that i can save everyone so that i can infiltrate the harem and steal the petrification weapon um so they're like okay well here's the thing though you know the warrior who is wielding that weapon kohaka points out kirisami she's a woman and again it's like and we don't know if she's a lesbian or not (laughs) he doesn't say that but should have brought that up it's like Hang on a second, Kohaku. <laughs> She's from a small village. They probably don't have a lot of gay people in it. So yeah. Uh, and so again, points out. Well, hey, if you can't, you might not be able to handle everything on your own if you go into this place. So you're probably going to want someone who can battle with you. And Almarilla says, "But we're talking about infiltrating a harem." Where will I find a girl who can fight? And immediately everyone looks over at Kohaku and she's like, yeah, I guess I should go. All I got to do is look cute during the selection process. As she stamps her legs wide and crosses her arms. (laughs) Strikes like the most arrogant dude pose, (laughs) which I mean, I, I have to point out like, oh, yeah. How is Kohaku super athletic beauty, natural beauty that she is going to ever look look good um, is kind of a silly point to make because Boichi also draws her as being, you know, traditionally attractive, just not pretty faced. Um, but I I love that it's her attitude shining through in this moment so much that it lets you know, that, oh, this is why, again, it's like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that there's all the characters are saying like, okay, well, we're going to have to work together to make you hot. And it's like, okay, sure. But then it's like a shot of her as she's like cleaning her ear out with her pinky. And she's like, I'm a hottie boom Pilates. <laughs> You're like, yeah, okay. I can see why it might take some work to convince like this group of closed minded people that you're like a conventionally attractive beauty by their standards. Right. If, if Kohaku's village doesn't think of her as attractive, then probably the people of this village wouldn't too. So, but yeah, I mean, like this is something that like, if she were just drawn normally in this moment, you would never buy it. It's like, Oh yeah. How are they ever going to have to make Kohaku look cute? But because she is going, you know, at full, like, ah, ah, it's like, okay, I get it. Yeah. The character. It's, it's the right amount of like added nonsense to it. <laughs> I also like that Gen is like trying not to say what is on his mind. He's like, I don't know if you're going to be cute. And Cog's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah. All right. That's it for that. Um, let's, let's talk Seven Deadly Sins. Chapter 312. The fight breaks out. So, last time we found out that the demon lord was still alive and he's taken over Zoldris's body. And we think that Melodius has an idea about it, but when we start the chapter, he's like, huh, I wonder uh-huh. whose body he took over. And we cut away, we see Zeldris, or Demon Lord, I guess, rather, uh, right. walking along, and two farmers are like, wow, it's like raining hail. Uh, hey, buddy, get out of there. You know, come come, come over into the house and, and get yourself safe. He's like, oh, yes, I must not look very regal in this attire. So he, like, morphs himself some very edgelord armor. Clothes wave, <laughs> and he's like, "This will do." And then he crushes their house, and he's like, "Goodbye now." <laughs> he knows he's like, 
I was concerned because this is not my good child, but it seems like Zeldris actually had a good bit of strength, and once I perfectly control it, I will be at the original Demon Lord strength. So, there's one praise for Zeldris, but also an opening saying that he's not fully in control of Zeldris' body quite yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also is pretty intelligent, too, because he's like, well... Since the curse is probably already tried to activate by now, they must realize that I'm not dead. And they must have realized that I'm probably in Zeldris's body. And they're probably picking up my magic. And he's like, hmm. Oh, I guess this is actually going to work out pretty well. So we cut back over to the boar's hat. And like they're trying to figure things out. When suddenly he's like, ah, they're near the portal. So he rips it open and brings out Undula. Which is, from all we could tell two giant crab legs that come out of a portal and fuck things up like and they just smash things a lot uh and they're like shit undula's a demon so powerful or a monster rather so powerful that even the demons try to avoid it so this is a big big problem uh and they send galther no yeah they send no who is it it's talking uh esta no not esterosa who's the old guy nick uh, the old guy. Yeah, which old guy? Escanor. That's it. They sent oh. Escanor and Hawk out to like go warn everybody, and then the other six, you know, the other five other members of the Seven Deadly Sins who aren't Melodius are like, "We'll take care of this thing. You have to protect Elizabeth." And you know, Melodius is like, "Okay, cool." And after they all leave, Elizabeth's like, "Why didn't you just tell everyone it was Zeldris?" <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Uh." Because this is my fight, and I had to kind of solve it myself. But Oh, right, I should have done that. <laughs> I kind of do this thing that a lot of shonen heroes do, where I'm like, if I hide it, look, it's a very important thing. And I get why. It's very personal to him. Uh, but he's like, but here's the conflict I'm in. I want to, I have to go save Zeldris. I can't abandon him again, but I can't leave you unprotected. Ah, if only there was a way to go someplace else while also protecting you. And she's like, I could just go with you. And he's like, Holy shit, you could! <laughs> You'll fight alongside me again? And she's, uh, she's like, yeah, definitely. And they go fly off, and they, they talk about how, you know, you've you've held my hand, we've been side by side, you've given me courage, and you are my light. And it's all those things that made me fall in love with you. And together they hold hands and fly off to go rescue Zell. That's a chapter. Yeah. Should also note that uh, this chapter included the results of the latest Seven Deadly Sins character popularity poll, um, which included all of the Seven Deadly Sins except Merlin, which good call. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then there's Zeldris and Elizabeth, and interestingly, both male and Esterosa. <laughs> They're so, very different. The corrupted and not corrupted versions of male. <laughs> um, as for the chapter itself, it's not a whole lot that happens in it. I was totally expecting that the demon lord would just randomly kill those farmers, but okay. Um, and yeah, it seems as though we are still going towards the end pretty quickly at this point. So, but uh, we're probably going to have a bit of team fighting before that because. Uh, He's summoning some, uh, this, uh, big ass monster. So, all right. 
Let's move on to the Promised Neverland. Chapter 135, The Search. So, but unexpectedly in this chapter, uh, Norman uh, has called Don and Gilda to his office. And Don, I guess, just re- repeats what Norman has just said. You want us to search for Sanju and Mujika? Yes, that's what I just said. Thank you. Um, he says that he... He wants them to find them and protect them before the Rotary clan or the royal family find them and kill them because Emma's plan requires the evil blood. And hey, if they don't come back in time, I'm going to kill the royal family and aristocrats. And then we'll only have Sanju and Mujika to rely on for, you know, their blood in order to carry their plan out. So um, he gives them some information. He's like marked out this all these parts on a map. And he's like, these are, you know, all the places that they're not likely to have been. Uh, it just kind of leaves down, leaves these areas where the demons don't tend to operate, uh, forbidden zones such as, you know, near Gracefield House and so on and so forth. So uh, I think it's possible that you're going to actually be able to find them because, you know, you, there's only so many different places to look. So uh, and he says, like, how would someone being pursued hide? I can understand that easily because we're also pursued. I'm so smart. Hmm. But he also says he's assigned them an escort. And uh, so we cut to a little ways ahead uh, as they're, you know, somewhere else in the facility talking over uh, the plan. And they they have agreed to do this. But they're like, so what do you think about this? Because Gilda's like, no one wants to kill Mujik and Sanju. And does like, yeah, he definitely does. (laughs) It's like my favorite thing that every time a character leaves a conversation, that they're clearly being manipulated and they leave it and they're like, so you know we're being manipulated as fuck, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, thank God. Because um, Don says, like, I mean, assuming the best, he's changed his mind, but if we assume the worst, we're just the bait to lure them out. Which I get the impression that because Don and Gilda figured this out so fast that this might not be the extent of Norman's plan. Um... Because it doesn't seem as though he would be the type of person to do something that would be seen through this easily. Uh, so, but we'll, we'll we'll find out, I'm sure. The escort that they're being assigned, uh, one of them is Hayato, the uh, headband guy who can run really fast. And uh, I do like because some of the kids are, you know, you know saying like, I, I don't know if he's going to be reliable. And Nigel's like, don't say that. I mean. Don't say that out loud. And Hayato's like, no, I'm definitely not reliable. <laughs> uh, but there's a new character that is also going along as an escort. Uh, this uh, dark-skinned woman who is surrounded by these dogs. Uh, they're called dogs, but they look kind of wolfish. Anyway, she's introduced as Aish. Aishi. It's an odd spelling, and I'm not really sure how to pronounce this. I'll have to like look up what the Japanese name or something is. Uh, they, so Don and Gilda introduce themselves, but she doesn't really say anything in reply. And uh, so Hayato has to explain, like, yeah, she doesn't understand you. Uh, and we get a bit of a flashback to when um, they first stumbled across her. Uh, after they killed a demon, they tried to reach out to her, and she spoke the demonic language to them. And basically, she was found by a demon in the forest and boss saved her. And we get this very concerning visual of Norman approaching her while she's crawling on the ground and he's standing up straight while light floods the area behind him and he's in this wide cloak and it's like, 
Yeah, you gotta wonder, it's like, just how deliberate is Norman's whole savior imagery thing? It's like, I have to have everyone make me look like Jesus so that they will follow me like a god. He's like, I'll go in and I'll save her once the light is, once the sun's at an appropriate angle that it hits that backlight window so I can walk through swathed in it, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not like she's gonna less get any less traumatized while if I did, like, if I wait a little longer. Oh... So, Aish, Aishi, uh, she doesn't speak English or whatever common language they speak. Uh, she speaks the demon language, hates them, and is a sharpshooter. So, Don and Gilder are thinking, like, maybe she, they, maybe Norrin's idea is for her to kill them when they come out of hiding. But we're not going to let that happen. We're going to make sure that they survive and, you know, and, and help out Emma and Ray and... So let's do this. And they remember also what uh, Emma had said about not wanting Norman to kill himself. And they're like, we've got everything covered. Don't you guys worry. Meanwhile, <laughs> in the game that uh, Emma and Ray are being forced to play by blah, 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 um, Emma's a baby now. And Ray is carrying her through the wasteland as he goes, damn it. He's like, oh, she better not remember us. If Emma gets baby memories, I'm ruined. Yes, hey, Emma, the first step to getting baby memories is to be a baby again. <laughs> but I can never allow you to have this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to do it the slow way like they did in My Hero. I'm going to do it once. This baby's head's pretty strong. Come on, stop fighting. <laughs> oh, damn it. Out. Hashtag Ray is one weakness. No grip strength. <laughs> she just keeps slipping out of my hands like a pickle jar. How did Joshi hold on to that baby? Anyway, things All look right. a little bit weird right now for uh, Emma and Ray. All right, let's talk about Black Clover, page 206. Reading across time and space. I'm going to go very quick on this one because there's shockingly a lot that happens and not a lot at the same time. Yeah, uh, I get you. Because it's more of the same, really. So basically, we know that Lumiere and Sacre have shown up and they go over to the basically like sealed body of the real leashed and are like well i have sealing magic so i will unseal the seal that has made you this way and leashed is back and he gets to thank lumiere for everything they did and together the two of them are gonna fight but first leash has to go over he's got a sass patchy a little bit but then he still is like you know what i know you were trying your best you committed horrible unspeakable genocides but, you know, you did it for a good reason. So you get a hug first before I guess we have to talk about the ramifications. Uh, the devil's like, I'm not going to just fucking let this shit just go on. But they're like, bitch, we got two light magic users. You can't do anything. So they start bouncing him around like a fucking ping ball at one point. It's pretty dope. They stab him with a sword. But he's like, ah, that's what I want to do. So he stabs Lumiere with a giant devil trident. And it cuts off his arm. But then Asta shows up. And he's like, no way, I'm not going to let you do it. He's like, anti-magic. And then everyone else in the room's like, anti-magic? With that, we could. And then the chapter ends. <laughs> Amazingly, Asta's the solution to everything. Wow, Nick. I can't believe there are... There's the original de- or Wizard King here. Uh, the most powerful elf to have ever lived. Two Holy Knight Generals. You know who is like a prodigy, and Patry who is 
the man who killed the Wizard King. Asta is still the most important character in this room, no matter what. I mean, really, why did we even see the other five? <laughs> who needs them? <laughs> but, but, I mean, like, this chapter continues what I was saying last week, which is just like, hey, I actually have grown kind of attached to all these characters from the past era. And I think that they have this really interesting relationship between them. There's a lot of deep stuff going on. And then it's just like, Aster's just kind of there. And he's kind of ruining everything by just being like the most important thing, despite having nothing to do with any of them. You would think that there would be more emphasis on the connection of his, you know, demonic side. And maybe we're going to get more of that before the end of this, because if he's going to be an important thing, character in all this, he should also narratively be an important character. That's all I'm yeah, saying. I mean, it's the very particular demon power up he has that he has never once really thought like, huh, this is kind of a bad thing. He immediately gained control over it. Black Meteor! <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to One Piece. Chapter 943. Smile. Last time, uh, Yasuye was executed, and all the people uh, of the village that uh, he was a hero to laughed about it because they can't express sadness because of the smile fruit. They are literally unable to do anything but smile and laugh. Even his own daughter was smiling and laughing as her father died in front of her. Sadness. This chapter begins with a flashback to uh, when Yosuye was basically acting as a mentor to all of the young samurai who were part of the you know, nine scabbards. And uh, basically, they're it's like samurai babies. They're just all little brats that don't really have distinct personalities in this image. And it's. It really doesn't put them over very well. They're just kind of like assholes who are who have no idea what the fuck they're doing. And he's scolding them all for being stupid and not and not helping out Odin. Anyway, moving on from that. He's dead now and they're sad. <laughs> Yay. Um, all of the uh, poor people from the village are of, uh, of Abisu are there crying while laughing uh, along with uh, Otoko and uh, Kamurasaki is explaining to Zoro, you know, this is the greatest sin that Orochi has committed, plunging the people into misery and leaving them unable to mourn their misfortune. If this is not hell, then what is good line? Um, and Zoro's just like, Oh, so you mean smiles, not just artificial dover fruits. <sighs> okay, fine. I'll explain that. You don't let me finish on my cool line, I guess. Fine. <laughs> Uh, a bit of stuff happens as uh, Orochi um, <laughs> cackles over the fact that he's just killed Yasuye. It's like, it's like, ah, that's right, everyone. You laugh him into the af- into the afterlife. This is Wano, bright, cheerful Wano. You might mistake it for paradise. <laughs> he's like dancing on top of his cart while all the people below laugh in sadness. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> you definitely do like just fucking despise this dude now. I mean, this was a very kind of rushed thing because there's so much going on that this feels like it was underemphasized up until the moment it happened, but was still effective in the moment. So credit there. Uh, and we see we cut around to different places as people react to Yusuye's death. Uh, Queen, for example, is like, ah, look at all them laughing over his execution. Oh, so cruel. Uh and we see that Luffy is actually really pissed off by this because he says no one deserves to get laughed at after they die. Um, 
We also see that, uh, you know, just everyone is reacting to this. Just very brief little comments from a bunch of people. Uh, Shinobu is the one who talks the most and says, like, oh, I, I, I should let you know that the smiles of the people of Ibiza wear are actually masks that they can never remove for the rest of their lives. And several years ago, Kaido and Orochi began a venture importing strange artificial fruits, the smile. And when one eats the fruit, it invites the sea's hatred, leaving you unable to swim. But in exchange, the horrible fruit confers the ferocious power of a wild animal. Uh, Frankie says that they destroyed the Frank. The f- Frankie says they destroyed the Frank. Destroyed the factory where they were being made. Uh, by doing this, Kaido was able to give his own followers monster strength in an attempt to create the Maya's pirate in existence. But everything that sounds too good to be true contains hidden risks. The success rate of the artificial strengthening effect is only 10%. If 10 people eat the fruit, only one of them will gain its power. The other nine lose out and receive only the downsides. Not only are they unable to swim, the side effect of the imperfect chemical mixture wipes out the ability to express sorrow or anger, meaning that the only thing they can do anymore is laughed. And of course, the factory that created this is labeled sad. <laughs> yes. I, so. I, I do have to enjoy that now we have this explanation for smile fruits. And we like we've grasped kind of the context behind them. You're like, shit, Oda has been planning this shit for like fucking eight years now. <laughs> this fucking payoff for a smile the smile fruits. Because Caesar Clown and Do Flamingo get brought into this as well. It's like, hey, this is all the stuff that was going on uh, in between them in order to provide Kaido with this power, and this is what it does. So I was like, oh, okay, get it now. <laughs> Uh, and the, there's also an explanation that uh, uh, Kaido's forces are divided into people who have yet to eat a fruit called the waiters. The people who were lucky enough to gain powers are called the gifters and the unlucky power fighters who have eaten the fruit but only have the eternal laughter are called the pleasures. So I haven't really noticed, you know, Kaido's followers who do nothing but smile dorkily yet. I but uh, ha- I actually do think I have noticed them, but I haven't paid it much mind because they're almost always in like really a wild kind of attack mode. So you always just kind of look at it as like chaotic mooks. Right. But it probably is intentional that they've always been there in the background. Right. Uh, and we see that uh, Shinobu says, like, I haven't even gotten to the tragic part. Orochi found a perverse interest in the failed smile fruits that had already been bitten. The fruits still contained the negative side effects and thus were incapable of creating and thus they were capable of creating yet more pleasures. So he gave them all the leftover fruits that didn't work to the town of Abisu just to poison them all with the inability to feel emotion. What a fuck. And they were and they were starving, too. So to them, it was a joyous grift. Yeah. So they thought they were happy for a minute and then it's just like they didn't realize that, you know, and it's terrible because like they they realized what was happening, but they just couldn't stop eating them. They were so hungry that they couldn't help but eat the fruit that he offered them. Ugh. So she explains, you know, Kumurasaki rather explains on the other side, this is how Abisu Kandon came to place. Every last person is bright and cheerful. It might look happy at a glance, but it's a tragic place where children can't even mourn their parents' deaths. To please, 
I beg you, don't blame them for laughing. And we see that, you know, Yasu, when he was saying that to Zoro, you know, you got to smile or that good fortune will get away. So use that mouth of yours and smile. It's like, oh, he was more comforting himself than he was comforting Zoro. Mm. Um, and then the most heartbreaking thing in this chapter somehow Otoko has managed to crawl through the gate separating the crowd from Yasu's execution area and she is nudging her father and she says look I've got good medicine for you because remember when Usopp was in disguise and was pretending to be a medicine man she thinks that that oil that he was hawking to people works and so she's like, this medicine will bring you back to life. It's called toad oil. And Usopp is watching this happen. She's like, no, that's not what you're thinking. Oh, God. It's so sad. <laughs> this girl who can't actually express her sadness over her father's corpse, desperately trying to get him to take medicine that is a sham. <laughs> that the hero made. <laughs> oh, it's awful. And, of course, immediately Orochi's like, fucking, that's the girl that, made, that ended up getting Kamurasaki killed. It's, her, it's your fault. Fucking kill her. And he takes aim at her with his fucking rifle. <laughs> and she's laughing seemingly in her last moments, but <laughs> who should arrive on the scene to save her? Not just Zoro, but also Sanji is there. Hey, Sanji and Zoro are in the same place at the same time for the first time in, what, eight years? <laughs> Five years so, but yeah. Long time. <laughs> so everyone is reacting to them being there, including them reacting to each other. They're like, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? Ah, you! Even in this super sad moment where we got to look like super badasses, how, how dare you ruin my moment? So, Some of the most badass moments in One Piece are when Zoro and Sanji do something together in an awesome way, like the Groggy Ring fight, or when they smash through that wall uh, during the Enos Lobby break-in. They're always at their best when they're kind of like, they put aside their grudge together and then just do something awesome at the same time, and this is one of those moments where like, this is super fucking awesome. Uh, I'll be honest, this chapter has helped a lot, because I've been mm -hmm. kind of waning on my ability to... I've been waning on the water arc, you could say. Hey, uh, wait, no, more like... <laughs> but mostly just because I've I've had trouble following it. Like, it feels like there's too many things happening, there's too many groups and too many narratives that I'm trying to follow. And this chapter started to make sense of it all. Like, I get the idea now of whatever the group is called, uh, the something nine or whatever it is, the nine samurais that we see in the flashback. Like, I get that concept now. And I like seeing them all together does, even though you said like the, the flashback, honestly probably should have been longer to been nice to have had like a full flashback about, you know, uh, Yasui kind of being this, this mentor to these characters mm. for a little bit to really drive the point home. Uh, it, it does like feed into this and I'm like, Oh, I, I get this now. And I, I dig this a lot. So I got that part of it. And then this chapter just really kind of put the pieces together. I'm like, okay, now I want the Shogun to just fucking get punched into oblivion. He's he's one of the most despicable, horrible people out there. We have an answer for what the Smile Fruits does. You know, we're seeing all these characters slowly starting to, like, align together as, like, the pieces are, are meeting up. 
and I'm I'm into it now. Like this is where I finally feel like I get the Wano arc, and I'm ready to like be able to be fully invested in it. Yeah, um, this was a really good chapter, and going through it again made me really appreciate it more too. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, I really liked it. Let's go through uh, naming our favorites this week. Favorite chapter in MVP. Ba-doop. Favorite chapter is going to be One Piece. I thought this was a great chapter for me. I was going to say something different before actually going through it, but that it did really make me appreciate uh, how good it was to just do it again. So, uh, yeah, I agree. One Piece. Uh, and my MVP is, of course, going to be twice because it's a super mm. cool moment for him and it's a great flashback. Uh, yeah, full agreement. Uh, I had considered uh, naming Nanashi as well. Gotcha. And uh, we lined up exactly with the, with the audience as well. One piece and uh, twice for Kara chapter and MVP of the week. Cool. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show now Wednesdays around 730 Eastern time here on twitch.tv slash and smashcast.tv slash And if you want to check out past episodes, you can do so by uh, finding us on iTunes, on YouTube and on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com. Help us out by subscribing and, and all of that good stuff uh, because that helps out with the algorithms and pushes us to the top of the hobby section to dethrone the woodworkers, which we'd really like to do. Mm-hmm. Fuck them. Damn. They're monsters. Demonic, demonic people. Can't be trusted, woodworkers. And uh, yeah, aside from that, um, if you want to join our Discord channel, you can do so. There's a whole bunch of good stuff on there that you can find. Uh, including the spreadsheet that we use to keep track of stuff that was made for us by Ninja X3i, whom we want to extend our thanks to, as well as Steve Mann and Infamous Planet for the stuff that you guys do for us. Absolutely. And that should about cover it. Do we have anything else we want to say, Nick? We're ready to send this podcast into space. Uh, sure. Uh, load the spaceship with the rocket fuel. Yeah. Send it off. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye.